Hi guys, welcome back. This is Karina. And this is Eric. And this is the late podcast. podcast. The law according to Eric. All right, so last week we went over what bankruptcy was. And this week I think it's a good idea to speak on the steps to file bankruptcy to get on the road to a debt-free life. So after finding a good bankruptcy attorney, Eric, what comes next? Well, if it's a good bankruptcy attorney, uh, you're going to go through what's called an intake process. Okay. Intake essentially, number one, verify who they're speaking with is the actual person that's going to file. Uh, you'd be surprised how much bankruptcy fraud actually happens. Mm -hmm. Usually it's when there's a foreclosure looming. People get desperate, so they hire these like fly-by-night, you know, like fraudulent bullshit companies mm -hmm. that promise to get them out of foreclosure and modify their loans and all this kind of stuff. This was a very, very big problem back in like 2009 and 10 when we were going through like the, the essentially the aftermath of the mortgage meltdown. Mm -hmm. uh, so number one, it's very important for the attorney to confirm the identity of the person filing. Okay. Then the attorney will go through a list of questions to essentially help him or her determine which chapter is the best chapter. Now, depending on certain things like the amount of secured debt uh, that a person has, that may automatically dictate, right? They may have no other choice but to do Chapter 7 or Chapter 11, for example, and so on. Um, but then they'll also go through, like, what their income is, how much, you know, what their expenses. Do they owe child support or alimony? Do they own property? Do they own vehicles? Do they have back taxes? Do they have student loans? They go through the whole sort of gamut. Uh, background information, mm -hmm. and then kind of help the client determine what the best chapter is, or if, even if bankruptcy you know, is even for them. Right. So what should they do to prepare for this? What do they need to bring or what should be brought? The, the, you know, a good attorney will, will communicate that ahead of time. And like what we do here is we usually provide the client with a checklist mm -hmm. uh, of things. And depending on if it's a self-employed person or a wage earner, you know, um, or if it's for a corporation or, or an LLC or some other business entity, uh, but the list is, is uh, often similar. We, we, you know, you'll need to show the last, uh, the most recent filed tax returns. If you're self-employed, bank statements. If you're not self-employed, your pay stubs, copies of, for example, your mortgage statements or a copy of your lease or you know copies of checks to your landlord, uh, the uh, your car payment statements or lease statements, all all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's usually a checklist of the most important documents. Usually they're just ones that confirm the, the information given to the attorney, like the income and the expenses. And the other thing that's really important that I don't think a lot of people understand is that the attorney has to determine also based on like the means test and federally what's allowable, like if the person's expenses are reasonable. Mm -hmm. I had cases in the past, like in Chapter 13 where we're showing like their expenses and i've had you know judges one one judge in particular who now is no longer on the bench but uh, her name was judge ellen carroll she was in uh, downtown los angeles she would routinely force the attorneys to increase like plan payments to unsecured creditors mm -hmm. by saying something like the amount that this person is paying for their cell service is too high okay they shouldn't be paying more than 40 dollars a month and they're paying 150 so i'm going to take this 90 dollars difference to this 110 dollars difference and you're going to add that to your monthly payment to the unsecured creditors. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's a bit of an extreme example, but that happens. You're supposed to show what your expenses are and they're reasonable, right? right. So you can't claim that you pay $500 a month, say, for cable and internet. Right. Right. That's going to be, you know, considered fraudulent or, or how to scrutinize it. Yeah. So that, that's what really should be the next step. Okay. You go through the intake. Okay. And then after the intake? 
once the attorney and the client agree on what the goal is and what chapter is best suited to meet those goals, mm -hmm. uh, then the process of f filling out or completing what are called the schedules mm -hmm. uh, is the next step. So we use uh, a particular software called Best Case right. uh, that kind of helps us put all that together. Best Case also has a module where we can pull a credit report with the client's authorization. Best Case helps fill in the amounts of the monies owed based on that credit report. It's all kind of integrated. Mm -hmm. um, Best Case also keeps up with changes in the means test and other things and helps us kind of calculate. But I should say, and this is with a, a very big caveat, uh, most attorneys, if not all, should not rely 100% on their software. Every client case is going to be different. Right. Yeah, there may be an instance where some expenses seem really high, but you have to take into account where they live, how long they've been there, if it's a lease, what was their financial position before they entered into that agreement uh, or purchased that property or what have you, right? I have a client today uh, who is uh, a Chapter 7 bankrupt, essentially lost everything. He has a, a home. There's really very little equity in the home, but it's like a $7 million house and the payments are 18000 or something a month. Mm -hmm. Well, that seems you know so high and that's exorbitant, but that's what his mortgage was. And at the right. time they bought the house, he could afford that. Mm -hmm. So again, it's all relative. So, right. but, the, but, but use of bankruptcy software really does help at least give you a preliminary picture of you know if this person is going to qualify for this chapter and what some red flags might be, things like that. All right. So I wanted to touch on two questions that I saw that could be important for us to talk on. Um, so before we start the first question, do you want to explain what automatic stay is before I get into this question? Okay, that's a, that's a good one. So I believe, um, just by the way, for our nine <laughs> listeners, I'm doing this without looking at any manual. Or anything. I think it is section 362 of the bankruptcy code okay. that spells out the automatic stay. So the first part about that term, the two words, automatic stay, mm -hmm. the first word automatic means exactly that. Right. The very second a bankruptcy case is filed and a case number is assigned, the automatic stay goes into effect. That automatic stay initially is absolute, barring some very specific exceptions, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Okay. That automatic stay essentially freezes all actions against what we call the debtor or the person filing. Legal actions, lawsuits, collection activity, wage garnishments, phone calls from collection agencies, bills that come in the mail, like, you know, like nasty billings, everything stops. And if a creditor knowingly violates the automatic stay, that can be a big problem for the creditor. Okay. If they, if the court determines it's a willful violation, they will be liable not only for the actual attorney's fees incurred by the debtor, but could be liable for punitive damages just for doing that. So it's a very, very serious, very important component of bankruptcy. There are some exceptions. Okay. Usually they deal with multiple bankruptcy filings one after the other. Mm -hmm. And so when it's looked upon like abusive, then the automatic stay is not absolute. If more than one case has been filed within a year, uh, you have to file a special motion okay. and have that motion heard within the first 30 days of a case, asking the court to basically extend the automatic state because it's only good for 30 days in that instance, right? The first 30 right. days. And absent a court order, it terminates at the end of 30 days. There are other examples where there is no automatic stay, depending on how many prior filings and some other things like that too. Right. Generally, it's 
automatic and it's absolute. Right. And you answered the question as well, because the question was, when does it start? And you answered in the beginning. Oh, so. All right, there we go. Got through that question. So the next one, um, it was when taking the means test and claiming my overall debt, do you include all interest of all the overall loans or is just the principal that's accounted for? You include, well, first of all, the means test has nothing to do with the amount of your debt. Okay. The means test is really based on your income and whether your income falls into this national average mm -hmm. and then depends on your expenses and whether you have any leftover or, or disposable income at the end. But the means test is essentially set up so that you get an idea, sort of a baseline of how much money you can make and still qualify for chapter seven okay. without having to pay anything back. And then you can overcome what's called a presumption of abuse. Mm -hmm. If you earn more than what the means test says your maximum should be, let's mm -hmm. say for a family of four, right? Right. Then the means test is you should earn X per year. And if you earn less than that X or less, Mm -hmm. You're good. If you own more, own, uh, earn more, then uh, that's called a presumption of abuse. But you can overcome that presumption mm -hmm. by showing that you have these valid expenses and that, you know, this is it. Mm -hmm. So the means test doesn't have anything to do with the debt part of it. Okay. But to answer that question, like how do you schedule that debt? Mm -hmm. It's the amount that's owed around or as of the day you file. Okay. So if I have a uh, credit card mm -hmm. and it charges me 19% interest whatever my most recent credit card statement shows, and mm -hmm. it usually shows the total due and then what your payments are, that's what you schedule. If you have a car loan, right, you just schedule the amount on your last statement, the most right. recent statement, that's it. Interest stops accruing usually right at the onset of the filing, okay. unless it's like secured, right? So like a car loan might be a, a better example of that where okay. your interest continues to run, assuming you keep the vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the more important part of this. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to keep my car or a house, then the interest continues, but I still ha I also have to make my payments like right. current. Right. In a chapter 13, I can repay the missed payments. There's some debate because if I include, let's say I'm 10 payments behind on my house. Mm -hmm. If my payment includes principal and interest and taxes, like everything, then in theory, that should be all I'm supposed to make up. Some are interest only. They don't include property taxes and insurance. Some lenders will try to add like default interest on top. And again, it's a case by case basis. You can right. object to it if it's filed as part of a claim. Mm -hmm. I mean, it gets kind of com complicated, but the, the, the basic answer is you just schedule the amount on the last credit card or mortgage or mm -hmm. car loan statement or whatever it is, student loan mm -hmm. statement, as of the day you file. Okay. All right, so for our last question that I have, just as the main questions we're answering today, um, I saw a lot of people asking when they come in and like they meet with the attorney or the paralegal, if they should bring, bring up that they have a lower income, that that's why it affected their ability to keep up with their payments. I feel like we should know that, but a lot of people wonder if they should that makes a difference or if that affects it at all. Um, I don't think it matters unless it ties into whether or not the debt is dischargeable. Mm -hmm. I know that's a little complicated, but let me let me respond by giving you sort of a, a an example, okay. a real life example. Mm -hmm. I had somebody come in to consult with me about five or six years ago okay. who wanted to file chapter seven. They said I, they've got $85,000 in credit card debt. Okay, so when I asked the person, are they currently employed? They responded that yes, they were. Mm -hmm. And then I asked them if, uh, 
what, what they did for a living and how much they earned. And essentially it came out that they worked at a car wash and they made $17 an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so then my next logical question is, well, is that what you do now or is that what you've always been doing? Right. Right. And the answer was that's what they've always been doing. Okay. So the, the next logical question is, well, how were you able to obtain 80 some thousand dollars in right. credit based on that income? And the reason I asked that and why most attorneys will ask mm-hmm. is because we want to make sure that those debts weren't incurred by fraudulent means. Right. So if that person filled out a credit application and said that they make 80,000 a year instead of 30,000 a year mm-hmm. and the bank extended credit or the credit card company based on that mm-hmm. uh, proposition or based on that information, that could be considered fraudulent. Right. Right. So you don't necessarily have to ask like, well, what happened that you couldn't pay your bills? Mm-hmm. But I do think it's important to know if they're employed, where they're employed, how much they earn um, for the means test purposes, but for general informational purposes, right. most people they fall into one of three categories, assuming there's no fraud or funny business. Mm-hmm. Either they've lost their job or they went through a period where they got laid off. Maybe they found new work, but they make less now, or they fell so far behind that they can't possibly catch up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's because of a medical issue, right? They got sick or they had surgery, they got laid off, or they had to go on disability. So now their income went from X to Y and Y is super low. Or they're going through some kind of life event, like they lost their partner, they had a death in the family, or they're divorcing or something like that. And then their income could change based on, for example, in a divorce, if I make $150,000 a year, but I'm ordered to pay $100,000 a year in support, well, okay, I still make $150,000 a year, but I've got this monstrous expense, right? right? That kind of thing. So the reason somebody stops paying really only becomes important if it's fraudulent. Okay. Oh, that's another one too. Sorry, not to, you know, I, I gosh, I could do this all the time. <laughs> but, uh, there is something in the law that is a little obscure but important. That's called first payment default. Okay. And there is a presumption of fraud if an individual obtains a loan or some type of credit, utilizes that loan or the credit card, right. and then doesn't make even their first payment. Mm-hmm. Right. So first payment defaults are also considered fraudulent. That's something that we would ask when we're going through the intake. Okay. I look at the debt. Okay, how long have you had this, for example, credit card? When was the last payment you made? And I want to make sure that they, well, for two reasons. One, I want to make sure that they've made at least those initial payments when they first got it. Right. And two, I want to make sure they're not paying it now. Right? If they're yeah. going to go bankrupt, stop paying it. Right? Now, and, and people, by the way, that's another thing. Sorry, I, I, I don't mean to go down this rabbit hole, but. Please, please, for the love of everything sacred to everybody that's listening, if you're going to file bankruptcy, do not bang up your credit cards and max them out and buy a bunch of stuff yeah. right before you file. That is a huge, huge like red flag for fraud. Yeah. And I've had people, God, God love them, I've clients bought like jewelry and electronics, like a big screen, like a flat screen TV and all that stuff, and then wanted to file like a week later. Yeah. That's a no-no. If you used your credit cards very shortly before you filed, but you use them for things that are considered necessities of life, food, gasoline, you paid your utility bill, that's usually forgiven. That's, you know, that's kind of like looked past. Mm-hmm. But if you banged up your credit card and you bought jewelry and clothing and appliances or whatever, yeah, that's a, that's a problem. So let's say they did do that and then they tried to file bankruptcy. Will it just not be filed or? Well, I, I hate to say this. There's probably a lawyer that will do it. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, you, I'm not, I'm not that guy. Um, 
But I would say the lawyer has to, at the very least, uh, give a full disclosure to the client that they could be you know, facing some potential liability. Right. They could be responsible to repay those last charges. Okay. And that, but that, and that would be getting off light. Yeah. The U.S. trustee's office could seek uh, a determination to basically prevent them from getting a discharge of any debt. Right. They could refer it up uh, as a criminal matter to the uh, DOJ. Because what people don't realize is the office of the United States trustee, mm-hmm. they oversee all bankruptcies and bankruptcy courts and the bankruptcy trustees and all that stuff. Uh, that's part of the U.S. DOJ. Right. So you take a big risk if, you know, you take your Visa and your MasterCard and you buy a bunch of expensive, bougie, you know, nonsense and then try to file bankruptcy right away. All right. So is there anything else you'd like to add before we start our next segment? Uh, I Yes, I do. Uh, I want to give a little shout out to a local establishment named Insomnia Cookies. They got this deal now till the end of October. It's only a few more days. This is not sponsored and it's not an ad. F- thank you. Fair <laughs> enough. But they just bake these cookies on the spot. And now they've got a thing for like 20 cookies for $20 and they're just so outrageously good. So we uh, we enjoy our insomnia cookies snack while we record. So uh, just want to let everybody know those are pretty, pretty amazing yeah. cookies. Thank you for putting everybody onto that. All right. <laughs> All right. So let's start the next one. And this is our What Would Eric Do? Our Reddit segment. Okay. So in light that it is spooky season and Halloween is coming up and all things scary, we'll talk about bankruptcy and divorce. Those are two very scary things. <laughs> all right. Let's get started. The first one is actually titled bankruptcy and divorce. Oh, okay. I know someone who's been divorced for over 10 years. This person has filed for bankruptcy, but the problem is one of their cards is in both her and her ex-husband's name. Before anyone says it, yes, I don't know why neither of them have called in and removed the other from the card in all these years. Well, there's the thing. The ex-husband is now demanding that she makes a payment through their 30-year-old son, who is now in the middle of this whole thing. So here's the question. Is there any legal way to get the husband removed from the card before the lawyer files the bankruptcy? That's a poorly worded question. So I'm going to answer it based on what I think they mean. Okay. Okay. First, it matters if this credit card was joint or if one was an authorized user for the other. Right. Okay. So I can tell you that uh, I have an American Express where I add users if I need to, Mm -hmm. right? But I'm solely responsible. Right. Okay. So an authorized user is not the same thing. They're not liable for any charges. Mm -hmm. If it's joint, then both parties could conceivably be liable for the charges made on the card. Okay. Now, having been divorced for 10 years, the, it should be in the divorce decree who's liable for what debt. Right. I'm guessing, though, that that credit card debt 10 years ago has been recycled a million times. Right. Right. So I don't know. Otherwise, so whoever initially got the card probably should be the one to contact the lender and say, I need to remove this person. Right. Or that person can jointly file something to get removed. There's nothing the court can really do unless it's like an order. But I don't know that they can do that because these third-party contracts, which mm-hmm. is basically what this is, right? So the credit card company is not a party to their divorce. Right. So if husband and wife divorce and they have in their divorce agreement that you pay X and I pay Y, the lenders of the credit company, they're not a part of that. They right. don't care. Yeah. Right? You you both signed. You both. I don't care. You, one of you pay me. I don't yeah. care what you two decide. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you practically, assuming this is a case in, in Los Angeles or somewhere in California, mm-hmm. normally what will happen is the credit card company will either go after the non-filing spouse 
Or they'll just close the whole account. Yeah. And they'll take the loss because it's going to get discharged unless it's fraudulent. It'll, it'll get discharged anyway. Right. Right. There is something else called a co-debtor stay, but they're divorced, so that really won't apply. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what I think. I, it's 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 kind of foolish that it went ten years and not one of them. Yeah. And if they keep using it, oh, sorry. To answer the other more like ridiculous part of the question, no, don't make your son make a payment for you. Okay. If you're filing bankruptcy anyway, we just talked about it. Mm -hmm. Don't pay. It's going to hurt the other person's credit. Maybe that sucks. That other person should try to get the card canceled or mm -hmm. out of their name. Um, that's it. Don't pay it off. It's going to be considered like a preferential payment because that's an unsecured creditor that's getting mm -hmm. paid before everybody else is. And this creates a can of worms for your bankruptcy attorney. All right. Next one. This one's called divorce and bankruptcy. After getting divorced and having a divorce paper say my ex-husband owed me some money ordered by a judge, he filed a Chapter 7 bankruptcy and it was granted. I only got a notice saying it was granted, but it didn't say if he would still be responsible for paying me or not. As I read that sometimes, even when bankruptcy is granted, they still need to pay some debts, like the ones ordered previously by a judge. Could someone please give me info on this? Yes. I'm going to try my best, and uh, but on, this is a disclaimer that please don't take this as legal advice, and right. I don't know what state you're in. Um, generally speaking, things that are considered to be domestic support obligations, which is alimony mm -hmm. child support, are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. They will continue to have to pay those support payments or the arrears, or if they give it to the DA to collect for them, the DA will file a claim, right. what have you. Um, they should file a proof of claim in that chapter seven mm -hmm. if it's not too late to do that. Um, they could try to seek what's called a determination of non-dischargeability mm -hmm. from the court. Uh, but generally speaking, domestic support obligations, so unpaid child support, back child support, mm -hmm. uh, unpaid or back uh, alimony are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. Okay. You still got to pay that. All right. Next one, breakup bankruptcy threat. I'm a 22-year-old female, and I'm recently going through a breakup with my 22-year-old male boyfriend of six years. We bought a house together, and I co-signed. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Sorry, hold on. I wish you could see his face. <laughs> what? What's 22 minus 6? 12? I'm no. not good at math, Eric. 16. <laughs> 16. Oh, yeah. No, I should be better at math. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm only good at girl math, but yeah, 16. <laughs> Sorry, by the way, to our seven listeners, that, that background voice, that's Jennifer, our bookkeeper, and, and my number one special someone. So there you go. Might as well just say hi now. Since yeah, hi, Jennifer. <laughs> hi, Sam. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right. So, uh, all right. So let me, let me put aside the creepiness of, you know, the 16-year-olds. All right, go ahead. Sorry. All right. Sorry, continue. So they bought a house together, and she co-signed his car for him a few years back. He still swings by the house because they split times with their dogs, and he still uses the kitchen because he's moved in with his parents, and he doesn't have space. The problem is that now that we are no longer together, he has been an absolute nightmare, and he keeps threatening to file bankruptcy just to F me over because he already has bad credit. So it won't affect him at all. My question is, what can I do about getting my name off of that car? It's not paid off yet, and he would have to refinance it, but is there a way to get off the title without his permission, or do we both have to agree to get my name off of it? Uh, you probably will both have to agree. You can petition the state court, so this is not a bankruptcy court issue, mm -hmm. and ask for some kind of declaratory relief, but that's going to fail. And the reason is because when the vehicle lender extended credit, they likely did so based on both parties guaranteeing their loan. And th 
ultimately the one that gets quote fucked over is the lender. Mm-hmm. If you guys are allowed to do that and pick and choose, well, no, 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 I want off the loan now. It's his problem. But you know, and by the way, he's the real deadbeat. I'm not. Right. No. So probably not. The bigger concern, to be frank, first, if they're current on the vehicle, even if he files bankruptcy, he mm-hmm. can reaffirm it and make the payments. And, right. Okay. The bigger problem is this house. Yeah. Right. If the house is in both their names. And if there's equity and the equity exceeds the amount of the homestead exemption, that house could get sold by a bankruptcy trustee. Mm -hmm. So if he's threatening to file bankruptcy for all that, that's a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure what state they're in and if it's any, I mean, I don't know if they're, I I see, it doesn't seem like they're married. No. Right. So it's not, so the community property aspect wouldn't matter necessarily, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. That's a tough one. Uh, She also shouldn't let him in the house anymore. They broke up. Well, okay. (laughs) It's half his, right? Oh, yeah, I guess. And their dogs. They split time. That's why he comes, because he splits time with their dogs. Yeah. I, something tells me that's just the excuse <laughs> you know, to mess with her, whatever. But, but okay. Uh, that's a question I don't know that I can really give a good answer okay. for. Yeah. I just don't think there's a good way around it. Mm-hmm. Actually, the best advice, honestly, is if he would be willing and she, um, they should go to like a small private mediator to mm-hmm. try to work out almost like a division of property like you would do in a divorce. Mm-hmm. Because even though they're not married, they have sh- shared assets. Right. And I guess they consider the dogs like children and they visit. They should probably try to do some kind of, for lack of a better word, settlement and custody yeah. you know, agreement for that. Maybe if he shows up every so often on certain days, he can play with the dogs and cook himself breakfast or whatever, and she can leave for an hour or two. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I might consider trying Yeah, for, for somebody in that kind of situation. All right. Next one is called X is filing Chapter 7 bankruptcy. He's behind in support, but he doesn't have me listed as a creditor. My ex-husband is filing Chapter 7 bankruptcy. He currently owes me over $200 in unpaid rent. We, co- we co-own a condo he lives in and child support. He did not list me as a creditor in his bankruptcy, and I've been trying to work with him on his past due support to me, but it's just been a bit sporadic. In early 2022, before he filed bankruptcy, I even suggested that we sell the condo and he could use his half of the equity to pay off his other debts. Note, I am all for selling the condo as I also had debts that have occurred over the year. He did not pay me. He told me that he did not want to sell the condo until after he declared bankruptcy. I am unsure why he didn't list me as a creditor in his bankruptcy, as both he and his lawyer know that he owes me money. I'm trying to understand why he may have done this and if I need to do anything to protect myself and my child. Okay, well, I don't think the child's in danger. <laughs> Start with that. I know, you know, mama bears come out, when, mm-hmm. you know, but okay. Um, first, she can, at least here in, in California, in the Central District, mm-hmm. you can file a proof of claim in anyone's bankruptcy, and you can do it online through okay. the court's like website. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I would do is find out where he filed and, and what the bankruptcy court is in that local area. It's based on zip code. Mm-hmm and see if on that bankruptcy court's division's website, she can just file a proof of claim. Okay. That's the easiest way. Yeah. Um, if he unintentionally omitted her as a creditor or even intentionally did, it may not matter if it's what we call a no asset case. Okay. So they may have equity in their condo, but if the equity is not more than what their exemption would be, then it won't be liquidated or sold and they can keep it. That's also probably why he wants to wait until after so he can wipe out all the other debt that he can, right. then sell it, and he'll get to keep the bulk of the equity. Mm-hmm. If they are 
divorced and no longer married, but they qualify both equity wise and means test wise, she might consider doing her own chapter seven. Okay. You know, wipe out her debt too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's accrued over the years. Again, the child support and the spousal support or whatever, I don't, oh, I guess I want to mention just the child support, that cannot be discharged. Right. So she should file a proof of claim for that anyway, just mm-hmm. in case there's a disbursement or distribution of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, it won't matter if there's no distribution from a trustee, it's not going to go to her anyway. What about the rent? The rent, she can, again, she can add that as an, it would be like an unsecured debt. Okay. It's going to be, it's not enough to, I think, raise red flags with a bankruptcy trustee. Right. If I were a trustee and the amount were more, like someone said, oh, he owes me 25000 in back rent for the last two years. Mm-hmm. My thought would be, well, if she's a co-owner, she's getting the benefit of adding and building the equity by covering it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'd also need to know if there was a rental agreement between the two or some kind of contract. Right. Probably not enough just to say he owes me rent or he rents back from me, even though we, you know, we, we split up. Right. It doesn't make sense because he's a joint owner, mm-hmm. right? So he's not really renting; he's just yeah. living where he's supposed to live. Yeah. Maybe again, maybe they made that part of whatever support he gives her or something, and he, that's what they call it. I don't know. I, you okay. know, I'm gonna tell you. All right. Next one. Going through a divorce, my wife makes two times more than me, and she won't accept any debt, and says oh, that she's going to woman? file for bankruptcy. <laughs> All right, so that was the title. Oh, sorry. All right. Read it again. (laughs) My bad. Going through a divorce, Uh wife makes two times more than me, won't accept any debt, and says she's going to file for bankruptcy. Well, okay, so I don't know that there's a question there. No, the the question is keeps going. What should I do? No, hold on. It gets better. Okay. I found out my wife was cheating on me, and then she filed for a divorce. We have a modest debt of about 20K, a car, and a mortgage. She makes about 4K a month and I make about 2K. Right now, I have the car and she has the house and most of our stuff. I have our car and a few furnishings and she has been paying our mortgage and I've been paying the car. We've been splitting the debt payments in half, about 450 a month. Debt is in both of our names. She is saying now that she is going to file for bankruptcy and then sell the house after and keep her money. We talked to an attorney and he said that they'd come after me for the debt unless I filed for bankruptcy as well, which I would rather not. Is there any way I can prevent her from defaulting or file a bankruptcy? No, you can't force somebody not to file. Okay. And if they choose not to make the payments, that's what they choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in a bit, bit of a pickle because that's true. If he is jointly liable for the debt, and that's why banks have co-signers mm-hmm. right, for exactly this reason. Um, I don't know how much equity they have. I don't know where they live. The means test for their area is uh, greater right. uh, or lesser, right? Um, so she may not be able to do a Chapter 7. Mm-hmm. She may have to do a Chapter 13, which will allow some repayment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there's just no there, there's no good answer for this guy. You yeah. Know, try reasoning. I don't know. What can I tell you? Good luck with that. But, you already uh, had bad luck. Yeah. She was cheating on him and divorced him. <laughs> yeah, by the way, this might be a question that people come up with. Getting cheated on isn't grounds to pour, force somebody into bankruptcy. <laughs> and, and, and getting cheated on doesn't change the answer. Yeah. Other than you know you were you know married a whore or whatever. But, <laughs> uh, but besides that, it doesn't change the analysis. Just, yeah. just one. Now, just putting that out there. Okay. Yeah. You know, bad decisions are made, but that doesn't change the legal analysis of anything. All right, our last story, and this lady spilled the tea, as I heard Eric using earlier this morning. So be prepared. Okay. All right, this one's called Bankruptcy or Voluntary Possession. Her husband and her are divorcing, and within a few weeks, it will be final. 
All debts are in her name, and she recently had to purchase new vehicles for both of them because the ones she had were unable to be driven. So they owed 4K on his car and 14K on hers. So she did the stupidest thing that that's her words, not mine, that she, she could have done financially, and she let the dealership screw her over. She said, I owe 62K on a truck worth 35K and 34K on a car that's maybe half that. Plus, she has 17K on a consolidated loan. All right, let me make this easy. I don't even hear anyone. Bankruptcy, and then you can do what's called a surrender of the vehicle. So there is something called a statement of intentions mm -hmm. that you file, that you fill out and file as part of your bankruptcy schedules. Mm -hmm. That deals with secure debt like a mortgage or a car loan. Mm -hmm. If you want to keep your vehicle and your current, you can file Chapter 7. You can still keep your car. You do what's called a reaffirmation agreement, okay. or you just stay current, right? The other option is you can put in your statement of intentions, I intend to surrender this yeah. and give it back. I would yeah. never in a million years, I'm going to give you two important reasons, mm -hmm. sorry. I would never in a million years uh, advise a client to keep vehicles that are that upside down right? Uh, for any reason, okay? I, I don't care how much you like anything, that's ridiculous, mm -hmm. uh, number one. Number two, most people don't realize filing chapter seven especially, mm -hmm. Uh, you will, you meaning the person that files, will start getting new credit offers like within three months, including pre-approved car yeah. loans. Because when you file Chapter Seven, generally speaking, with, mm -hmm. you know, there's always an exception, but generally speaking, you wipe out all your unsecured debt. Yeah, you're not the big credit risk you used to be because you don't have to pay anybody else. And your credit's not bad. She included her credit score seven thirty. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. But no, after bankruptcy, it'll go down. Yeah, and it'll start to come back up. Yeah. But the point is that there are lenders that will take a risk on you again mm -hmm. right after bankruptcy because you don't have to balance 50 payments for right. all these different things. Mm -hmm. You just have to now pay the one new loan and you cannot file bankruptcy again for seven years, right. a chapter seven. So they're at a much lower risk. They can always repossess the car if you stop paying right. it anyway. So if I were this person, I would surrender those vehicles through the bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. Don't voluntarily surrender. It's like a repo. Credit's gonna get screwed up anyway. You're better off BKing, get rid of all the debt, including the car loans, and start fresh. All right. And that counts with the divorce as well. There won't be an issue with that? Well, I don't know. Are they, they, it's just going to be final in a few weeks, but she bought a car for him too. Uh, that's a pretty nice ex. Yeah. Well, um, I think that was before. She claims to hear that she had only done, done it because he had been doing really well, or so she thought, because I guess he had a job, but right after she got that, he quit his job and then got back on drugs, she said. Oh, I must. I guess we didn't read all of it. No, we didn't read all of it, but yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I would say then tough luck on him. Yeah. You know, if she's the owner, technically, it's in her name. It's her right. If he wants to reaffirm it and pay for it, yeah, that's up to him. But it sounds like a lot smarter yeah. to just surrender those upside down, mm -hmm. you know, no equity vehicles that you're just going to overpay for forever and start fresh. By the way, I don't know if it says it, but it sounds like they're like from Texas or something. Uh, it, she didn't mention oh, no. Okay. It just feels like they get like big oversized trucks. Yeah. You know, that aren't worth a lot, but yeah. they just overpay because they have like the gun racks and you can drink mm -hmm. beer in an open container. And Texas, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But anyway. So she it, did. Sorry, because everything's bigger yeah. from Texas, right? Yeah. Including the purchase prices and loan <laughs> She did say the consolidation loan um, that he has been ordered to help pay with her, but she believes he never will. Again. The lender's not a party to their yeah. agreement or their divorce agreement, if that's what's indicated there. She's better off to just wipe it out. If he signed for with her on that consolidation loan, then they mm -hmm. can go after him. 
if she just took it out and helped him, then she should bankrupt it. I don't care what he promises. Even if he's a great guy and not on drugs and all that stuff, why would you risk the exposure mm-hmm. of being stuck with this loan in the event he does default? Again, even if he's got the best of intentions. Right. He relapses. He loses another job. Something. You know, yeah. Just get rid of it. All right. All right. Well, that ends all of our stories. So would you like to add anything at the end? Uh, just that this is, uh, again, we're, we're, is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Our first episode, I don't think came out as well as we had liked. So we're trying a few different things as far as like proximity to the microphone and, and all that. And, uh, you know, like, keep listening, keep sharing, uh, follow us on all of our social media. Karina you know, is going to give you the, the, the breakdown, which client is that always misstates your name? Uh, Don. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Katrina. He calls yeah. me Katrina. Yep. Yeah. So actually from now on, by the way, we're going to call you the hurricane. <laughs> Is that how you feel when I walk in the office? I'll tell you, if anybody gets to meet you, they'll understand Hurricane <laughs> Katrina is real. That's just, not, that's just not in the South. That's you know. <laughs> All right. Well, our Instagram is at the Bensama Confirm. Our Twitter is at Bensama Confirm. Our TikTok is at Bensama Confirm. And then our website is eblawfirm.us. And then you can email at us at info at eblawfirm.us. Are there any cookies left? Yeah, there's a lot, actually. All right. Jennifer only brought one for her when she came in. She didn't bring any for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Until next week.